Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that kind of tackles some uh, interesting topics, important topics. Sometimes they're a little more controversial than other times. I think this week we have one that's not particularly controversial, but I certainly think it's an important topic, and that is women in the media. Not only their representation in numbers, but uh, also their take, their um, um, influence in the media, and we're talking all kinds of media, not just print media, not just social media, not just movies, but all of them. And so we have a wonderful expert with us today, uh, Kate McCarthy. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Heather. I'm delighted to be here. Well, Kate is associated with the Women's Media Center, but your expertise is in a particular area. Can can you tell us a little bit about your expertise with women in the media? With she sure. So I work with the Women's Media Center, and the Women's Media Center was set up 10 years ago to make women and girls more visible and powerful in media. And we do a whole variety of different things. We produce original content written by women around subjects that focus on women um, or aspects of popular subjects that women have been missed out of the story. We do research, and I know we're going to be talking about that a bit more a bit later. And we have our programs, and our programs include training women experts to be media-ready and media-savvy. And one of the projects that I run is SheSource, which is a list of over a 1,000 women who are expert and media-trained, and they are expert in a whole variety of different topics. And we connect those women up with journalists and bookers and producers to try and change the ratio to get more women's voices into the news. Well, off air, we were talking about uh, some of the aspects of what we were going to be exploring today. And one of the things that, that we talked about is exactly that. When you read a news story, if whether what, no matter what the topic of the news story, uh, when you see a, um, uh, an interview, when you are exposed to media in any way, we're always seeking those experts. We want to go to the experts. So, you know, uh, a news story happens, and what do we do? We find an, an expert to interview about this particular phenomenon. And although I mentioned to Kate that I could not find statistics on this, it seems to me that the overwhelming majority of the experts out there that are quoted and that are sought out in, by the media uh, for reporting are men. We have women experts, too, people. <laughs> and, and I think it's so important that the women experts be sought out as well as the men. Tell me your feelings about that. Are You, you kind of agreed with me on that. Absolutely. I think that there are women, and we have, as I said, over a 1,000 women experts in SheSource, and um, SheSource, which can be found, if I can give it a quick plug, at SheSource.org, so SheSource.org. And anybody can go there, and they can use it as a research base to find women, or they can press on the button, and we will connect them to the woman expert who's on the list who's interesting for their story. What we find is that women tend to come to use SheSource. Women journalists use SheSource much more than male journalists use SheSource. We uh, can find a woman to talk on pretty much any subject under the sun uh, and connect that person up with a journalist. And I think it's important to note that we find that um, from the research that we've done, we can go into this more a bit later, but we find that women journalists tend to use women experts and women sources more than male journalists. And women sources tend to talk about a subject in a slightly different way than male sources do. And How? So tell, if, tell me more about that. How do they talk well, about it differently? What we find is if you look at the analysis that we've done on our recent rape research, we find that men will talk about it. Men will be quoted on that subject using, uh, in, in different ways than women will be. For example, women will talk more about the impact of the crime on the alleged victim, and men will not. 
men will talk more about sports culture and how that is um, affected by uh, a, a campus assault and um, issues like that, whereas women do that much less. Women will talk much more about rape culture and um, university policies looking at rape culture than men will. So what we find is that, uh, or what our advice to media outlets is, is if you want a balanced news, if you want a news that tells all of the story, then you need to ensure that you have both male and female journalists, and you need to encourage your journalists to talk to as many women as they talk to men. Yeah. Let me throw out our phone number there. Um, if you would like to join us in our conversation, we have the chat room open on the website, or we have a call-in number, and you can get hold of us at 646-378-0430. 646-378-0430. We would love to hear from you. If you have if you've had experience with the media or if you've just uh, been a consumer of the media and you have thoughts on, on uh, women in the media, I'd like to hear them. I'm sure our guest would, too. Katie, let's go back to the basics here. Are there as many women in the media as men? And I suppose we have to look at all the levels of the media, because as we mentioned, that you know the media isn't just newspapers or blogs. The media is also movies and TV shows and uh, magazines and the things that you pick up uh, to read. Are there as many women as men in the media? How is the representation of the genders? Women are massively underrepresented in media and misrepresented in media. If you look at news media, we do a status. Well, every year the Women's Media Centre does a report um, called the Status of Women in Media. And in that report, we bring together the studies that have been done by a whole variety of different organizations over the previous 12 months. And we use that, that data to paint a picture of the media, both the news media, the um, TV, film, gaming, uh, the social media companies. And the picture that it paints is pretty bleak. Um, things in some areas things have got a little bit less better, but in most areas things are pretty bleak. The piece of research that the Women's Media Centre um, put together shows that in the news media, it's about 62% of the bylines across the evening broadcasts, the print media, the internet, and the wires are um, taken by men, compared to 37% that are um, given to women. That gobsmacks me because I, writing and uh, especially writing, I think, uh, is something that women do. We do that, you know, as children. We we do that in schools. We tend to be the writers to start with. So why are we not translating those skills and those interests as adults in, in, in the media? Why do you suppose that is? Well, I think you can look at lots of different reasons, and there's people doing research at the moment there's, um, which uh, look at whether or not there's, an, for, for women journalists, um, whether or not there's an impact because of the way that women journalists are attacked online now. I mean, often the comment sections of different outlets have uh, shown an awful lot of aggression and violence against women, uh, which isn't shown against men. Um, so there's, there's a question, is that impacting it? Is it the impact of the expectations to travel and do other things that uh, is maybe more difficult for women? Uh, is it the fact that people often will recruit people who look like them and the power structure is very male? And so if you have uh, often some people for, feel more comfortable with people who they're familiar with and who look like them. So if you are a white male, you're more likely to employ a white male. If you're a black woman, you're more likely to employ a black woman. I mean, the statistics show that. Um, it's also, if you look at the areas that people recruit from, often people hear about jobs through their networks. And if the networks have, have traditionally been one thing, then it takes a lot of effort and intentionality to move out of that to 
find something different or somebody who, who looks different to the way that you look or to the group that you most usually associate with. So I think there's a lot. I don't think it's a one answer. I think it takes a strategy. I think it takes energy and intention. So I think it's very possible. And it's, you can see it's possible by some of the organizations that are putting efforts into trying to change their numbers. Mm-hmm. When, when we talk about representation, I think we need to, from the research that I did anyway, it looks like we really need to also pay special attention to the film and television industry, to entertainment. Um, although the numbers may be appalling on uh, TV and, and print, um, our news and, and, and print media, the numbers of representation for women in film and, and, and television entertainment are appalling, aren't they? Yes, I think the statistic that smacks me most in the mouth quite regularly is the fact that women make up 18% of crowd scenes. So not even the people <laughs> who get jobs or the people who are getting to speak or have character development. But even in the crowds, women are massively underrepresented if you look at family films. And that's crazy. Well, you know, it's funny because it seems to me, um, and I suppose I should preface this by saying I'm not a young chickie anymore. I mean, I've been around for a, a few decades now. And it seems to me that when I was a child and you were watching reruns of I Love Lucy, which I, I hated, those damn I Love Lucy pictures. I, I, I could never find her amusing, you know, with, with her daddy, Ricky, giving her spankings and everything. I mean, I just could never get into that, even as a child. But we went from the kind of Lucille Ball image of a woman um, to images on TV where the men were the idiots and the women of the family were the ones that were smart and, and in control. And yet... We're still, believe, you know, we, we, it's men who are putting out those images, apparently, because if, you're, if women are terrifically underrepresented, I, I guess I'm phrasing this awkwardly, but what, what are we doing as far as the, the way we are portraying women? It's like, did we really try to make a correction there by making the men the idiots in these TV shows? And if the rep- representation of women making decisions on how to represent people on TV are not are, are in such a minority, then it's men making the men idiots too. I, <laughs> it's always bothered me. Awkward question for you. Can you make anything out of that, Katie? Well, I think there's I think there's different things. It's, if you look at there's the, some really great directors and producers out there now. If you look at the the impact that Shonda Rhimes has had on popular culture, it has been really powerful. We now have um, a number of shows that have really strong African, African-American women leads. And that's really important. And seeing those women in situations that men wouldn't put them in. Um, when the lead character in, in one of her shows uh, took off all her makeup and let her... That's not something a man would put on. Or when in Scandal she puts toilet paper around the toilet seat before sitting on it. There's things that men don't know that women know. And those storylines are slowly being able to be put into um, the media and put into popular culture in a way that there's similar sorts of things to men have been there for a long time. So I think there are some positive changes, but they are very small and they're not happening quick enough. We don't have enough women being shown in the senior uh, political slots or in the the top of a hospital or the head of a business or um, the researcher. And I think that needs to change. Um, Gloria Steinem always says you can't be what you can't see. And I think that's right. I think we need popular culture to give a more equal view of men's roles and women's roles in society generally. Seeing more men in caring roles, being family people, I think is is important. Um, I think seeing fewer women and girls wearing, being scantily clad is also important. I think seeing fewer Hispanic women in the roles of being a maid or a housekeeper is important. I mean, we need to show the diversity of roles that all of us can do, be us male or female, and regardless of our ethnicity or race. You know, I, was, I saw the movie The Intern with, uh, what, what is his name? I want to say Robert Duval, Duvall, that's not it. Anyway, it was a, a classic actor that we all know his name, and, and he was with the young woman who started the big, 
conglomerate. It was a startup, and it just took off. And so her, she had a huge company, and um, um, she had to. They brought in interns. And so this older man, a retired executive, came in as an intern, and they developed a good relationship. It was not a romantic relationship. It was a good relationship. And I was commenting to the woman that I enjoyed the movie. It was a pretty good movie. And she said what would have made it a better movie is if the woman executive had been a mature woman and the intern had been the young kid. Mm -hmm. And I went, yeah, hadn't thought about that. (laughs) But that's true. That's true. I think even when we make it, we we see things in the media that are making a stab, and I'm talking entertainment media that are making a stab at some sort of of um, a, attempt to um, equalize these kinds of things. We still have the man in the mature role. We still have the man being, you know, the one to look up to. Mm. Yes, I think you're right. I also think it's interesting to see. I've been recently watching the Star Wars films, and we watched The Empire Strikes Back, I think it was yesterday, and um, Princess Leia was uh, spent part of it lounging around in what my kids said, why is she wearing a bikini, mummy? Um, <laughs> because she's all of her. <laughs> we were saying because she's being treated as a... As a yeah, I mean, because she's being captured and that's the way that they want to make her feel little and all the rest of it. But it was interesting to see that when Princess Leia came back to the more recent Star Wars film as an older woman, the amount of um, natter and chatter over the Internet about whether or not it was appropriate to have an older woman in such a, an important role within the film was incredible. And you compare that to the the conversations that were going on about Harrison Ford. I didn't see one email, I didn't see one article, I didn't see one bit of conversation about whether or not he was too old to come up and play um, a part within within the remake. Yeah, yeah, so you're absolutely right. Different standards for men and women. I mean, one thing that we we did recently is we did an analysis of the 10-year review of the Emmy nominations by gender, and the figures on that are quite striking. So, for example, only eight women have been nominated for as an outstanding director in all categories over the last 10 years. Um, only for the um, writing, only 22 women compared to 78% of the nominees went to men in... Um, producing, outstanding producing, 72% went to the men and 28 to the women. Um, but that makes for sense editing. there are so few women, you yeah. know, competing at that level. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, if there's only, what, what was, were the 27% uh, of uh, uh, the workforce in the entertainment media, or in, in the entertainment field is women, so of course you wouldn't have 50% representation for awards if only 27% of the candidates are female. Absolutely, but you also need to look at who's making those decisions. Mm. Uh, I mean, Amy, the film Amy has just been nominated, or the film Suffragettes missed the nomination recently. And is that, why did that miss the nomination? Why was that not put forward as as one of the the best films? And there's a lot of people who are saying that one of the reasons is that the people who are making the decisions are massively dominated by men and not by women. And so films that maybe men are watching aren't being watched in the same number by women and vice versa. And so at every level, you have to look at the power structures at every level. And the power structures of the decision makers are massively um, overweighted towards the male population. You know, one of the things, let's get back to the print media again, or at least the the traditional news media. Um, who makes the decisions on hiring? I think it depends on different newsrooms, but I think that um, often you've, it's the senior staff who often make decisions about hiring. Okay. And um, the I'm trying to scan very quickly. I don't see the numbers for the percentage of senior staff on, so let's, let's say, newspaper. Let's say the news, uh, let's say Huffington Post, which is well represented by women, but let's also say, how about, how about AP? Let's say AP. Uh, it would be fair to assume that most of the decision makers at AP would probably be male. I don't know the figures specifically for AP, but I do think that 
generally analysis has shown that most newsrooms would, uh, have more men in senior positions than women in senior positions. And when there are more women in senior positions, so for example, look at the New York Times and look at Jill Abramson, she managed to bring in another, a number of other women into senior positions when she was in that position of power. You know, so I do think part it makes of, a real Yeah. Part of this whole conversation is discouraging, not only on the surface, but also because didn't we fight these battles 30 and 40 years ago? I think battles take a long time to win completely. I think it's incremental, the changes that are made. And it's the same. We look at the fight to get gay marriage legalized. It took a very long time to get to the place that we are now. And now that battle is is definitely moving more quickly in the right direction. And I think it's the same with women. I think we have more equality now than we did do 30 years ago. Um, We're obviously not there yet, and we need to keep keep going and celebrate the the wins and and buckle down and, and continue to fight for more of them. Okay, one more question about this. Is there a reason women are underrepresented? Um, other than just uh, uh, what we've been talking about, about, um, you know, some uh, being ignored and power, people, uh, hiring people who look like them and that kind of thing. Is there a reason from a work standpoint that women are not represented more that you can think of? I think not anymore. I think not anymore. Okay. I think there's a lot of women journalists who are very, very happy to take the, take the assignments that means that they travel. You have a lot of women journalists who are willing to do the hours that journalists have often have to put in, which are unsocial. I think there's more male partners of women journalists or partners, female partners of women journalists more, who are willing to play a, a, a bit more of an equal role at home. So I think that there's no excuse, really. I think that there are people out there who want to do the jobs as very able, capable journalists, and um, the people hiring need to look a little bit further than they have done in the past. Mm-hmm. Well, a recent re- Pew report came out, and, and although it's certainly improving, the fact is women are still doing the bulk of household uh, responsibilities. So, you know... You know, we still have we still have that. It's getting better, though. I guess we can say that. So, what do we do? Our 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 journalism schools. There aren't that many strictly journalism schools out there anymore. But are are schools making an effort to bring in women or to um, uh, make women accessible in everyone's mind? Um, Are are schools doing anything to improve this situation? My understanding is that there's more women in journalism schools or studying journalism than there are men. And the problem comes when people move from the journalism school and women tend to move into PR and other uh, options rather than journalism. And as I said earlier, there is there is a, a study being done to look at the impact, why that is, and to look at the impact of kind of aggressive social media and comments and the threats that women journalists get to much, much higher proportion than men, and to see whether that's influencing things at all. And we do see that. I mean, the studies show that women, you know, if they're on social media, women get slammed a lot more and harassed a lot more than uh, men do for the same kinds of things that, that they that they might post or report on. Um, is there any... Um, well, I guess Women's Media Center is focused primarily on the research. Is that correct? We do different things. We do a lot of research. So we do our annual status of women in the U.S. media reports. We do, we've recently done a, a, a study on the reporting of campus rape and sexual abuse which came up with some really interesting um, data. And that's one of a series of reports that we're doing looking at a variety of different options and looking at how they are reported over a year's period. We We also do media reports. So we have reports that give advice to journalists and bookers and producers on how they report different aspects of the news. We did a uh, a report into reporting on, on reproductive health 
I think as newsrooms become smaller and as uh, there are fewer journalists to cover wide range of subjects, journalists are getting less and less expert in the subjects they often cover. And we're trying to ensure that there is um, proper coverage of, project, of subjects that really affect women. So reproductive health, people often use the wrong terminology. They often bring about what we call false equivalency, where they interview two people in different sides of the argument, but one will be uh, somebody who represents the Association of Obstetrics and Doctors and is a very well-known, um, very large organization. And the other one is a small shop of, of activists who are pretending to be doctors because they've got a PhD in something. Um, so we, we talk about those sorts of issues and how important it is to report on a subject properly. Uh, we have a book on spinning the spin, which looks at the gender-neutral language so the importance of words and how certain words are used more to uh, report on women than they are on men and the impact of that. We did a study that looked at the coverage of female political candidates. So uh, they, and it, there were some interesting things that came out from that. But I don't know if you remember, there was a piece once on TV and they had four senators and all of the senators were being challenged about something. But all the three male senators were all wearing business wear or wearing suits and ties. And Nancy Pelosi, the only woman senator who was being discussed, was wearing an evening gown. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just... Oh. <laughs> They couldn't get her to a bikini, huh? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, but what you're doing is is people are maybe not thinking about it, but what happens is women are put into a situation where they're being portrayed as being less professional and therefore less able to do the job, less having a handle on what's expected of a senator or a member of Congress or a state elected official. And we find that in the coverage of women that happens an awful lot. Um, our analysis showed that even if a journalist describes a woman's appearance in positive terms, then she will go down in the eyes of the voter. And in reality, there's many more column inches that are given over to describing the appearance of a woman in comparison to uh, describing the appearance of a man. So even if you're saying that she looks sharp in her red suit and high heels, um, that's is using, first of all, it's using up space that could be talking about her policies on tax or the minimum wage or whatever it might be. Um, but also it's making her in the eyes of the voters seem less able to do the job. So we use that data to communicate with journalists and then to put advice of best practice um, we understand that journalists are very busy and they're juggling an awful lot and I think the business as a whole is, has been under a specific pressure over the last uh, five, ten years. And sometimes these things get forgotten and so we're there to remind people that the language really, really matters and to use the words that are going to give us much of a neutral idea about the story and report it as fully as possible. You know, when we talked on air, I said that one of my pet peeves as a, a journalist and also as a, a person who works with the area, in the area of domestic violence is the way we report domestic violence incidents. I was awakened to this fact several years ago. I was many years ago, like 15 years ago. I was on the air doing news for a radio station, and as I was working, um, a woman was driving a car, and it was initially reported as a traffic accident. A woman was speeding down a city street. She hit another car, injured that person, ended up rolling over her car, and she was being pursued by another car. And as she was in her rolled-over car, witnesses saw the guy who was pursuing her, who was either her husband or her boyfriend, run up to the car and yell at her through the window, and continue verbally abusing this woman. As the story evolved, she was trying to escape this man who was trying to kill her. Mm. It took three days 
before that story was reported as anything other than crazy woman rolls over car and injures another driver. Three days. Yeah. Before anybody talked about the fact that she was being pursued. She was running for her life. And that was such a wake-up for me. And I thought, how are we reporting this? So I actually have spent a, a lot of time uh, um, dealing with reporting domestic violence uh, issues. And I think one of the top stories that I've ever found was from Lexington, South, uh, South Carolina. The headline said, Dad accused of killing five children had nasty divorce. Wow. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. that explains it. <laughs> that bitch made him do it, right? Another Absolutely. headline. I, another headline incredible. was "Nice guy kills girlfriend." Yeah. Yeah. The thing about this is that if you read these stories, almost invariably. It comes down to something she did. She's to blame here. The first thing that we do, and we talked earlier about going out and seeking the experts, the first thing that most reporters do when covering domestic violence situation or some sort of familicide situation is to go find somebody to talk about how wonderful the guy was and how maybe he just had a lot of stress in his life. In reading the Women's Media Center report on reporting sexual violence, it sounds like it's the same kind of thing. Why is this so hard to see? <laughs> why I, I have a hard time understanding why people have to be taught to see how this is ridiculous reporting. Because they're part of the society that has, has for many, many years seen women differently to the way that they've seen men. It, uh, I think that the journalism is a reflection of the society. I don't think it's and I, what we would like is journalism to be better than that. And I think that's yeah. what we we work hard to try and help. And there's a lot of really fabulous journalists, and there's a lot of people who who are very good and are trying to make an effort. But what we want is we want that to spread. I mean, if you look at the reporting of of some of the cases that we were looking into, it's been really tough. It's been really tough because people are talking about the perpetrators in different ways and they're talking about the alleged victims. Um, You hear much more about the perpetrators than you hear about the alleged victims. And some of that's because the alleged victims don't want to talk to the media, which is understandable. Um, But it is tough. I also think, I mean, one of the other things that we do as an organization, we have a project, Women Under Siege, which looks at the reporting of sexualized violence in conflict. And Lauren Wolf, who's uh, the director of that program, does a lot of work with um, journalists, doing training of journalists about how to approach um, a victim of sexualized violence to try and get her and sometimes his story into, into the media in a sensitive way. And I think... If you don't know how to do it, then seeking out advice is the next thing that we would always encourage people to do. It is, it, it is if, if you've never spent time with victims of sexualized violence or victims of domestic violence, then, then having a bit of a guideline about how not to be a hard-nosed reporter, I think, is, is useful. And uh, so what kind of, uh, getting back to the, 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 the training programs, are, is your organization working at all with any um, uh, schools or universities um, to sensitize training? I remember years ago uh, there was a huge push on um, degendering language, just picking words that, that didn't reinforce gender stereotypes. And, and it seems to me like we have focused a lot on words and language to try as one approach to becoming less um, 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 gendered in the media. And I think that's a great thing, but it sounds like we need to do more. So are, are there efforts with journalism schools, for example? We've done a little bit of work with journalism schools, but more on an informal basis, so we'll go and do a talk or do a seminar. Uh, Most of our training is geared at getting experts to be media-ready and media-savvy, to increase the pool of women who can talk about 
Um, we concentrate particularly on the issues that affect women, um, but make sure that they can be ready to be in the media and can be really strong spokespeople for their organizations or the issues. So we've done a lot of work around economic security, for example. We've trained women from the global south who uh, to speak on climate change, to try and get more women's voices into the climate change discussions of, of last year in Paris, the COP21 discussions. We do... Our um, highlighted uh, training is Progressive Women's Voices, which we do once a year, and we train 20 women who are either leaders of progressive organizations that particularly work on issues that affect women or what we call our potential media superstars, so people who could become the spokesperson on the political spokesperson on CNN or other people who who can try and ensure that stories are covered in a in a gender nuanced way and that get women's voices into the the media. So we do a lot of training, but our training with uh, journalism schools tends to be more if we're invited to speak or if we. Um, on that sort of level. And then we've distributed our Unspinning the Spin, which is the definitive guide. It's um, a very large, I'll send you one, it's a very, very large book of uh, gender-neutral language that has been really useful and it's been well-received by people who are working in women's studies and journalism. Great. Um, Another topic that that I suspect may be... um handled differently, perceived differently, or reported differently between the genders is age and aging issues. Have you seen that? Is is that an assumption on my part, or is that also something that you have seen that's different? I would suspect it's true. I know, for example, if you look at the age, the average age of characters in popular films, in family films, then women are, I think, on average 15 years younger than men. I mean, it's crazy the number of when women's being attractive. Um, and I don't know if you've seen some of the Amy Schumer skits on uh, on that. Um, it's a bit too crude to say on the radio. But she's done some very funny skits on when women become less attractive and and so, and are no longer offered parts. And I think it's 40 is the, the age cutoff that she talks about. But I haven't seen any specific research looking at how that's reported. Uh, I do know on every level. So Except example, Helen Murren. Helen Murren gets a pass. Why? <laughs> you know, she's still perceived as, as having some level of sexuality, even though she has white hair. <laughs> she is. She's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I suspect that that's true, that, that the age age is reported differently. Um, and if I have to see one more movie where some 60-year-old leading man is, you know, getting it on with a 25-year-old woman, I think I'm going to lose my lunch. Um, nevertheless, that's been going on for years. Um, getting back to news reporting, um, I want to talk a little bit about radio because I think we've done some great things in, in radio and even on TV in a little tiny way of allowing older women and less attractive women to be on TV or visible, I should say. Um, but we still, I, I mean, does a week go by where there isn't some little, you know, a tempest in a teapot because some weather reporter is perceived as overweight by someone or and it's always the women. Um, do Do we see any efforts being made to improve the visibility of women who are less than the perfect 25-year-old model-sized person? I think some of it is coming from the women who are in the media themselves, uh, who have got a platform and who are willing to use it. Uh, There's the whole campaign talking about women on the red carpet saying uh, about what uh, what questions she's asked and what questions he's asked on the red carpet and inevitably she's asked something about her appearance and he's asked something about the film or his work and I think that getting women in those or women in those situations taking that responsibility and, and putting themselves out there and saying that's not right I think really helps I think having Things like um, the Shonda Rhimes putting women into situations where they 
don't have their makeup on or they do have their their hair undone or those sorts of things i think again shows women as who they really are uh, and i think that's important and i think it's pushback as well i think it's the it's the viewers it's all of us and we can say we love seeing this person we can watch this person we can write to the media outlets or tweet at them or email them or whatever just to say i love what you're doing and then there will be more of it that's true. That's true. The the influence of viewers and listeners is huge, and I think we tend to underestimate that or, or minimize the influence that, that viewers can have. I mean, there are numerous situations where just a handful of people actually have a great deal of influence over what is published or printed or reviewed or, you know, I mean, it really... Uh, shouldn't be minimized, uh, the the influence of viewers. We talked a little bit then about the representation of women in the media. And it seems to me, in looking at some of the reports that, that Women's Media Center has done, that, that women seem to be having more of an influence in social media, a little bit more um, representation there. Is that the case, or am I misreading those numbers? I think that if you look at our divided reports, the uh, the Internet as an outlet is the one that does better than anything else. Uh, so in the in in that you have um, uh, more women doing uh, being having bylines on the Internet, so 42% compared to the 58% of men, um, whereas in the other places it's all under 40%, the other outlets. Um, so I think there is a bit more of a, a, a space for women there. I think one thing that social media has done really well is it's given underrepresented groups and underpowerful groups the opportunity to have their voices heard more. So if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, that Twitter handle which was started by two, by three uh, young African-American women, that has had a massive impact on the discussion that's in the legacy media and social media. So I think what social media does is it gives women the opportunity of having some of their storylines out there in a way that sometimes have been forgotten in other places. And a successful campaign will allow those storylines to jump from um, Twitter or Facebook and uh, jump into bigger outlets that get better coverage and more nuanced coverage as well. You mentioned the word nuanced, and uh, I think jumping back a little bit to the difference in reporting, especially of sexual assault or gendered violence, um, we do see more nuance with women's reporting. There are various ways to reward good news. You know, I mean, good news reporting. I mean, we have a number of awards out there. Are there any awards that you're aware of, particularly for reporting women's news? The Women's Media Center does an annual um, gala where we rep where we acknowledge um, women in media, and every year we will have people who do particularly nuanced. Um, we do the look at women's stories and bringing those stories to the forefront. So we've had um, a whole variety of people. We had the two, uh, the, the evening broadcast folks, Judy Woodruff and um, Gwyneth from PBS NewsHour, won it this year. And we've had other women who have done it for putting documentaries about women on the news and doing some uh, stories that look more in-depth at issues that women face. And what can we, as individuals, as consumers, do as we look at uh, and, and see some of the obvious overwhelming uh, representation of men in the media? Is this something that we need to do something about, or do, is, do you think it's just going to take care of itself? Um, what, what, what can we, as consumers, do about that issue? I think there's a variety of things that, that consumers can do. I think, first of all, notice it. I mean, now whenever I watch a news discussion, I count the number of men and number of women on the panel. Um, I look to see whether or not the men are saying things that uh, have it from a whether they're looking at the issue from a gender lens and whether the women are. When I watch a film, I see who the characters are and who's speaking. When I watch a TV program, I do the same. I watch children's TV with my kids and I do the same. And it is remarkable. Often there are 
uh, there is a woman character or a girl character, but often it's one to three or one to four. Um, and so making a note of that and then writing. I mean, telling people what you think when there's something that is really positive. If there's a film that's been directed by a woman or produced by a woman or is about has a woman as its main character in the in the show, then watch it and, and write about it and tell the producers or the award folks that you appreciate the fact that they're bringing women's stories to the forefront. And so that's I think on all of those levels. You, you email right now. I mean, it's, it takes a minute to do those kinds of things. It takes a minute to do it. Tweet it. Tweet at the hashtags. He for she. No, she for she. Um, ask him what you ask her. I mean, there's all sorts of different campaigns going on that, that people can jump on board of. Also, if there's something that you find particularly egregious, then email SheSource or email the Women's Media Center. And what we'll do is we'll tweet about it. And we have many people who follow us and we start getting that message out to people. We also, we will write, if there's things that are particularly awful, then we will be in contact with the media outlet and we will challenge the, what they do and what they've written and what the, or what they've said on TV. And we've had remarkable success doing that. So uh, we've, if somebody is writing a, writing a particularly horrible headline that we think is sexist, then we will contact the journalist. We will kindly and gently suggest that their headline is, is sexist. Um, then if that isn't taken down, then we will contact somebody else higher up within, within the outlet. And if that still is ignored, then we will um, have a social media campaign against it. So we do... We work with the journalists initially. Sometimes people use language without thinking about it. So we give them the opportunity to change it. But then if they don't, then we will do something about it and we'll put the campaigns in place. How many women are involved in the Women's Media Center? Um, on staff, we're a relatively small and dynamic staff. There's about 10 of us. Mm -hmm. do a lot of work for 10 people. We do do a lot of work for 10 people. We also are very lucky. We have um, a great base of supporters, and we have varieties of people who get involved in different levels, and we work a lot with, with consultants and others who we work on a, on a ad hoc basis. So, but it is. It's great. We're, the, we're, we're lucky we do interesting work. Yes, it is interesting. What do you see as the predominant issues for this coming year for women in the media? The election, I think, without a doubt, the 2016 election. We know the 2012 election, that women's voices were not heard. I mean, it was, the figures were, were crazy. Um, if you look at, if you remember the last election, the uh, war on women and the attacks against Planned Parenthood and other things, abortion and contraception, were very big issues in the last election. And men's voices outweighed women's voices in that discussion two to one. And those are issues that pertain to women's bodies, um, even in that subject area. Women's organizations, men talked more about women's organizations than women talked about women's organizations. Um, yeah. I'm hoping that 2016... <laughs> Isn't that always figures... the way? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think that the biggest thing that's happening to America in 2016 is, is the presidential election and the congressional elections and the local and state elections. And I think arguing that women should have a say in that. We know that women comment more on articles that are written by women. We know that women listen more to arguments that are made by women. And so if we're really wanting this to be a democracy and to have everybody's voices involved in the election and in the decision-making process about what's going to happen for the next four and possibly eight years to this country, then we need more women's voices in the conversation. You know, I always say my father, my late father, was the first feminist I ever knew. And I remember as a child hearing somebody try to engage him in a conversation about abortion. And my father, who was the only boy with eight sisters, said, well, the way I think of it is women have to have the babies. And when men have to have the babies, then men should be able to decide. Absolutely. That, that was, uh, you know, 100 years ago when I was a child. And um, I am still appalled that my father, who was a very uneducated and simple country farmer-type man, um, was so many decades ahead of his gender in so many ways. <laughs> you know, I, 
I often wish that that uh, there were a, a lot more men who shared my father's viewpoint about women and feminism. Of course, my father would probably never have believed if, if I had said he was a feminist. He probably would not have even understood what that meant, but he was. And here it is decades later, and we are still seeing this, this influence of men who refuse to think that they are not the be-all and the end-all when it comes to women's issues. That's just a little editorial comment I threw in there. You can use that, Katie, okay? <laughs> when you say what can people do, and that's another thing that people can do, is they can own it. If you think that men and women are equal, then own it. Be a feminist. Say you're a feminist. It's not such a bad thing to be, and it's not a, such a bad thing to say. And I think right. that as people just take it on board and agree that that if we want to should tell the whole story about what's happening in our country or what's happening internationally, then we need to have all of the voices in that story. And at the moment, women are massively underrepresented, and it's not getting better quick enough. You know, let's put in a plug. You and I, again, were talking off air about uh, women's e-news. I want to put in a plug for women's e-news. Um, that is a, an online publication that is not only journalistically well-written and well-presented, but it is also very a, a great resource for what's happening with women in the world. And uh, when we're talking about women and media, I, I think we would be remiss without mentioning Women's E-News. So those of you who have not discovered that yet, please go find Women's E-News. Katie, we're kind of coming up toward the end here, and I wanted to uh, go back just momentarily to the report, the Women's Media Center report on the gap in coverage um, with sexual assault and gender violence, sexualized violence. In that report, you said that the, the, it, you found that 55% of sexual assault stories were written by men. Women wrote only 31%. Twelve major print outlets from 2014 to 15 showed that 48% of the quotes in those stories were from men. Only 32% were from women. And, of course, there's some gaps here because, you know, of, of unknowns and all that kind of stuff. But um, the gender disparity is even more glaring in sports stories referencing sexual assault or in stories written by sports reporters where eight of 12 news outlines had zero bylines by women. It's not just the representation that's the issue here. It's the way it is viewed. It is the way the news is viewed and reported. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. I think that the point of having a representative media is that you get all of the story told. And if you don't have a representative media, then the media is not telling all the story. And if the media is not telling all the story, it means the public isn't influenced or isn't informed about all of the nuances within that story. And that feeds into the policy basis. It feels in feeds into people's personal lives and how they themselves react and what they see is, is the right way to act. And that's why it's important. Well, exactly. And when we read these things, when we're surrounded by words, and we are surrounded by words, those words have meaning, and we are influenced by them. And so when we read stories over and over and over again that shows that – for example, a man who kills his children was ha just undergoing stress or was having a nasty divorce. I, you know, that seeps into our consciousness, and we begin to think that that, in fact, is the reason for this man to kill his whole family. Um, when we see news stories that emphasize, you know, the, uh, the garments a woman wears rather than the content of her mind, that influences how we view women. I think that even though we're talking subtleties for the most part, these are really powerful subtleties. And I congratulate you and the Women's Media Center and SheSource for tackling these topics. You said the election, you think, is going to be the biggest thing upcoming this year. What do you see for the next decade? What Are things going to change? Do you see progress being made? Do you see areas where we really need to focus more if we're going to change these situations as far as representation and quality of reporting? 
things will change when the media outlets decide they're going to change and we need to make or we need to help them decide that by doing advocacy work whether that's as individuals or organizations you to make change you have to be intentional about it we know that things are happening very very slowly and very incrementally and if we want to make change within the next decades it needs to be more intentional People need to put a plan in place, they need to implement that plan, and they need to reward those who do implement that plan and get better representation in the media, whether that's film or on the Internet or whether it's in TV or, or, or paper news. One of the things that you said was uh, that struck with me, and I actually made a little note here, is intentional. Awareness and intentionality. I think if we have those two things, we can really make some strides in any area in which we wish to make strides. Um, so well, I've made my notes here. You're, n- you're now on my little bulletin board. <laughs> Awareness and intentionality, important. We have a few minutes left, Katie. Did I miss anything in asking you and talking to you about these issues? Anything you'd like to add that I haven't covered? I will just underline that there are some really fabulous women experts out there. But she sort has many of them. If you are a woman expert and you are media experienced, then contact us at shesource.org. We also at the Women's Media Centre have fabulous content. So we are looking at stories from a women's perspective. And if you go to womensmediacentre.com, then you will find links to our young women's blog and our features and also Women Under Siege, which is looking at women's stories from overseas. Is there a component, uh, are there any men's, comparable men's organizations that are working toward um, parity in the media for women? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Although we do have some great male allies. Men are, Mm -hmm. I know some fabulous male feminists who work very hard to ensure that women's voices are heard as well. So we're... We have members of the world, people who are supportive of the Women's Media Centre who are male, and I know numbers of male journalists who do try very hard to, they do count the gender of their sources and their stories, and they do work to to um, reach out to women where, where possible. Um, just not enough of them. <laughs> we need more. Yeah. <laughs> yes, funny how that works. Um, when you said that you listen to the media with your children, we all put on a different hat when we're with our coworkers or with our families or whatever. When you're listening to, when you're just at home watching TV or something with your with your children, do you have daughters or sons or both or both? Both. Um, I I did too. I had both, and I didn't see that I I wore too much difference uh, as far as my role between them. But um, what is it that you? bring up with your children when you're watching the media? Because we all do that. We always bring up the little things we want these kids to pay particular attention to. We might do it very subtly, but we do it. What is it that you bring up when you're watching a show or a cartoon or something with your children? I think there's different things. I think being kind and consent. I think consent is really important and consent on every level. So not somebody not forcing somebody to do something and somebody being gentle or being kind to them and the whole bullying aspect of it. And then we do the count. As a matter of course, we count the number of male and number of female characters who are speaking. Um, And they're very aware of it. They'll come and tell me, oh, she was a really strong woman, mummy, or that sort of (laughs) thing. And what they bring up with me is um, semi-nudity and women being underclothed. They're, that really, really impacts them, and they hate it. They really don't yeah. like seeing women or girls with, with few clothes on. They, they think it's belittling, and it's, why is she wearing a bikini, or why is she, why is she not got any clothes on, mummy? Um, not that they watch nudity, but um, why is she in her swimming costume and he's in a suit? Um, yeah, yeah I, so. I love the shows where he's, he's wearing a coat, and a jacket, and blue jeans, and boots, and she's wearing a sleeveless tank top. (laughs) It's like, if it's so cold that you have to be wearing a jacket and all this other stuff, but she can be in a tank top, you know, I mm, don't know. Yeah, yeah. So there are very double standards, and I think it's important to increase the media literacy of all of us, but I think working with children is, is, that's very important. We need to be analytical about what we're watching, and 
make judgments about that. Thank you, Katie. It's so much fun talking with you about this issue. I've learned a lot, um, gotten uh, my my dander up, and I'm probably going to be shooting off a few emails in the next few weeks. Um, But I appreciate it, and I think it's a topic that all of us need to be aware of. I always end the show with a quote, and this week's quote is by Elaine Gill. If you have any doubt that we live in a society controlled by men, try reading down the index of contributors to a volume of quotations looking for women's names. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We'll be back again next week. Thanks for that.